Following Christ in 2021 is not for the faint of heart. Striving to be a kingdom man isn't about packing up and taking a vacation. It's about getting your mind right, your gear packed, and heading into war. It's more important now than ever before to stand up for what's right and just in the eyes of the Lord and seek His truth. This ain't a cruise ship, fellas. It's a battleship. So buckle up and get ready for the truth, the uncomfortable truth. Welcome back to the show. We're so glad to have you today. Thanks for tuning in. We have a special guest. His name's Curtis Grimes. Curtis is an artist, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But to begin with, Curtis is going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now, and we're thankful, thankful for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we just thank you for everything you bless us with and provide for us, and just thank you for the opportunity to hang out here and fellowship and just kind of really dig into the Word and and just really enjoy your presence, and just um, we just pray that you'll be with us. And in and, and one, first of all, in our walk and our personal devotion to you in, uh, in this podcast as well, and just pray that you would reach people and that, that you would be glorified through it and just give us the words to speak and uh, just kind of guide and direct our conversation and pray that, that all of it would lead right back to you. And I uh, just thank you for Sean and Obi and Shane here and just um, just thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 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 Super excited. Uh, Texas country music artist, Curtis Grimes. Uh, and we, you know, we just want to learn a little bit about you, Curtis, today. And uh, we want to just start off by just asking you, <clears throat> excuse me, tell the audience just a little bit about how your country music career began, uh, how your music career began, and just, uh, you know, kind of your your humble beginnings, and uh, let's just kind of start from there, if you don't mind. Probably completely opposite of most people's way of getting into music. Uh, I didn't touch the guitar or even have a desire to sing, much less in front of people. Um, I was a baseball guy. That that consumed most of my childhood as far back as I can remember. I remember being like three, but you had to be four to play in the right, league so right. like that bummed me out because yeah. my cousins were able to play so from that early on like that's all i knew um and you're then, in you're in a, a room full of people that are in the same boat right yeah, yeah so y'all yeah. get it y'all know yeah, where i'm coming abso- from absolutely so it'll make even more sense of how weird it is to be doing this yes. when that's how my <laughs> brain is wired i still feel like a pitcher like i still <laughs> I do not feel like a baseball or like a singer at all but that's kind of ties into being able to stay humble, you know, when it's absolutely feel like, oh, now you do, you run a bowling, you own a bowling alley. Like, you're not going to take that near as seriously as if you were playing and just kind of the pressure on yourself. So, for sure, backtrack. I was a baseball guy. Uh, my roommate, I got a scholarship to go to Centenary College over in Shreveport. My roommate was the third burst, the third baseman. He had a guitar that he'd leave laying around the dorm room. And at that time, I was listening to a lot of Texas country, a lot of Randy Rogers, Wade Bowen, Eli Young, guys like that. So whenever he was was out of the room, I got his guitar and tried to start banging out those songs I was listening to. And I'd just get online. This was uh, kind of a pre-YouTube country tabs was it. So I'd be like, oh, I play G-A-D. So then I had to Google, how do you play a G? <laughs> so that was kind of how I learned to that play guitar really? was, was via internet. And That's cool. Um, self-taught 
Yes, sir. Yes, wow. sir. And it was pretty bad at first. It, it was not pleasant to the ears. <laughs> that took a couple of years, actually, before it sounded. That's kind of like decent. anything, though, right? Stuck with it. It is. It is. It is. I probably annoyed a lot of people in that dorm room. <laughs> but that's that's how that's when I got into it. So but you were you were 18, 19 right, yeah, years old that, before that you year. picked up a guitar. Right. Wow. And I mean, I would sing along to gives the me truck hope to you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, but you're ta- you're yeah. talking about trying to learn how to play a guitar earlier. That's so. right. Uh, so so I never uh, never sing in front of people. I'd sing in the truck, to Alan Jackson, George Strait songs. Oh yeah, that's kind of it. And then the next year, I moved down to San Marcos. Um, quick story there. I got engaged to the girl I was dating in high school, and quit baseball. Kind of was going to do the settle down, get married thing, and then that, that didn't last very long. But I'd already quit, so the baseball coach wouldn't let me come on. I still wanted to play ball, tra- transferred down to San Marcos to go to Texas State that next year because another two other guys on the team were doing that, and I had some buddies going down there. So I went down there, signed a lease on a house, couldn't uh, – that fall I couldn't – I went to register. I, could, I, I would have had to live on campus – but I'd already signed a lease on a house. So I was already paying rent on the house. So I wasn't going to do that. So they said, take some junior college classes, get your credits, come back. So I did that for a year. Just kept messing around with the guitar. I was still in baseball shape doing my thing. And um, next year, rolled around, enrolled in Texas State, went to walk-on tryouts. was pretty good. I was, I was 88, 88 um, on my fastball, hitting my spots, got ground ball outs, got a meeting with the coach. So like, what's your story? What's your eligibility? I told them, if you go from Div 1 to take junior college classes, you can't go to another Div 1 without having associates. Well, I didn't have an associates, so I wasn't eligible to play. So that was you like getting some uh, some red tape, you know, some roadblocks. You know? I know. So that was that, that was like really when I had to hang out the cleats because they were like, you can go to Panola or San Jack and try again next year. I was like, nah, I just moved here. <laughs> like, I'm not moving again. Uh, so that was it, and that's really when I jumped into the music stuff. When um, and so I was just playing open mic nights. Uh, the first gig I had was a happy hour at El Royo in Austin. El Royo, and um, then I it was me. Then it was me and a fiddle player. Then it was me and a drummer. Uh, yes. So so at this point, you had already discovered, or you know, and felt like, man, I I can sing pretty good. There was something, you know, but I, mean, I didn't was, feel I was any different than any other guy that right. was trying it. You know, sure. you play for your friends, you know your roommates, and and you know, and and obviously enjoyed it. You know, I mean, you're I did, a good but time. purely as a fan, like I still feel that way. Like yeah. I don't feel like the guy. I feel like a fan that gets to do this for a job, and yeah. it's a cool job, you know. Um, and so, there were crazy breaks that happened along the way. So this was say, when I was nineteen, twenty, moved to San Marcos. Then, probably three years into this, like zero to okay, now I've pieced together a band. Um, local radio station, 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Radio station had a contest, send in a YouTube video of your band and we're going to pick the top four. We're going to have a battle of bands at Stubbs. Person that wins that gets over for Kenny Chesney. Oh, wow. So I call him I was, wow. Big deal. At the time I was working at Longhorn trophy shop, building trophies, like soccer trophies and stuff. And I call my buddy. He's like, Hey, do you have a video of our, any of the sorority, the sorority parties we did or something? He's like, yeah. So he sent it in. Made the cut, went. had a show at Stubbs. We just invited all our friends, you know, because I was playing random stuff, and you kind of accumulate your buddies, the benefit of the doubt fans, you know. 
And so we got them to come. <laughs> is, that, is that what you call them? <laughs> yeah. The people that, like, even if you're horrible, they <laughs> like you. They love you, yeah. <laughs> so they'll come support your yeah. music. That's awesome. That's it, awesome. It, that may be our podcast listeners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, they add up. You start, they add you up. start somewhere, baby. And they recruit. They're pretty heavy recruiters, yeah. actually. Those are, those are the ones that are going to recruit for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I did that. I and, love uh, it. We wound up winning. They they made the most noise, uh, and so we won. <laughs> this tour was sponsored by Corona, so half of my band guys weren't even twenty one, so they couldn't <laughs> play. I had to like rent band guys to play that. It wow, was a fifteen minute slot. It was us, Leanne Rhymes, who was awesome, and then she uh, was in the battle. Kenny. No, she was oh, like okay, the, okay. she was Kenny's opening I got act. You. And then I they, got you. every every city they were in, they teamed up with the radio station. And brought a local act to get so, 15 minutes. So you got to meet them before all I this? Did. And, and was that like, um, holy smoke, I can't believe I'm here? For sure. Yeah. Very <laughs> surreal. I, I didn't know what the word surreal meant until that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, You're yeah. Leanne Roms? Are you sure you're Leanne Roms? <laughs> That's really nice to meet you. She was just walking around. So they have a big, like, fancy catered thing. And then there's a separate table. They're like, that's Kenny's table. You can't eat that. <laughs> and it was like, like soul food, like home-cooked yeah. meals. And that was Kenny's table. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Leanne Ryan was was there eating kind of in the peon section with us. Uh, How cool. So, yeah, we did that. And there was a week after – there's a YouTube video. Kenny got his foot caught in a sh- – he comes up on a little box from the stage at the beginning. And his boot, his boot was overhanging the edge. So his foot got smashed oh, in that wow. shaft. This was a week after that. So he's hopped up on hydrocodone and stuff when we met him, like kicking rocks. Like, hey guys, nice <laughs> but it was cool. Like, he took time. He took time to come over there and give us attention. Um, oh, cool. And, and so yeah, then I'm sitting there watching the show in the little pit, and his his tour manager comes up, like, hey Kenny, want you to come up on stage for the last song? Do you know Tractor Sexy? Dude. <laughs> You get put on the spot. Do you know? Do you think my tractor sexy? I do. You want to sing it right now? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right. So you're like, you're like, I know it. You're like, oh, that's I'm do like, I really know it? Do I want to sing it? It's like, but two, I'm on stage with Kenny Chesney. Do I know it? You know it because you sang along to the radio with it at that at the time. Right. Two, you're like, dang. If I had to sing one song in public, that's not the one I want to sing. <laughs> Three, you're like, I'm gonna do it because this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. Four, you're like, do I really know the words? So I'm, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I pull out my phone and I'm looking up and I, there's no service in this arena. So I'm like, come on, man, come wow. on, load. And so then they song before I met at the side stage. They gave me a pack. Like he'll call you when it's time. So. uh Go up there, do the thing, and it's that it was happened so fast. The only thing I really remember about it was my mom was there, so I was like, "Hey, mom!" You know, <laughs> from the stage, um, but no, it was it was cool. It was it was a definitely a good moment. Now I remember thinking, "I'm gonna spend my." This was the biggest country concert at that time. So whatever Luke Combs now or who Luke Bryan a few years right, ago, right. Kenny. This was his fifth year's Entertainer of the Year. So this was the biggest production, biggest country concert at the time. So I remember thinking, wow, if I do this music. I still wasn't fully committed. I was just like feeling, it's like, if I do this, then I'm going to spend my entire career trying to get back to this moment. Right. The first big thing that I yeah. did. Uh, so it set the bar pretty high, to say the least. No yeah, kidding. No doubt. And, wow. Uh, so we kind of took that momentum, and that allowed us to start booking shows outside of Austin bars. And then three years later, uh, on the way back from a seminar – Best in Texas seminar. They kind of do the Texas country chart, and they do the seminar for 
up and comers. Uh, and my manager's like, hey, this TV show, new show from NBC, The Voice. They like sit in chairs and turn around. Do you want to do it? Uh, tryouts are Saturday. And I was like, man, we're playing my mom's 50th birthday party on Saturday. I can't cancel that gig. And uh, so they got me in early. So I had an appointment at like 9 a.m. Didn't have to do the whole line thing. I go up there. They're like, all right, cool. You pass this round. Come back tomorrow. So we drove to Gilmer, played the show, turned around and drove right back, did that. And then this time they're like, hey, uh, thank you. Here's a piece of paper. Uh, if you don't hear from us, you'll be in the database. Good luck. So you're like, all right, waiting right, game. Right. Two years, two weeks later, we're on the way to a show in West Texas, and I get a call from an LA number, and they're like, "Hey, you made the you made the final cut. We're flying you out to LA next week, so you have to like cancel three months worth of stuff just for the off chance wow. that you make it." Wow. So it's kind of like people ask me, "Oh, would you do it again?" Like at this point, I, it might not make sense just because like I can't cancel three months just for another round of it. Um, but that was kind of the, the toughest risk of go, of going and doing that. So sure. then we did, did the show, and that kind of parlayed into um, – I met a guy out there that said, hey, from ASCAP, he said, hey, when this is over, here's my card. Come to Nashville. I'll introduce you to some folks. So that's what got me into the door in Nashville. So I go out there. He sets me up with co-writes. And that week, the first week co-write, one of the co-writes was Trent Wilman. He's been producing everything ever since. So kind of very blessed that I met him that first trip to town. Um, and then that kind of set up the me to get a big time publishing de- or publishing deal, uh, booking agent, management, the whole shebang. Uh, and then that kind of is when when it went to the next rung on the ladder and started doing stuff. And that was when I f- had a first real deal album, like radio promoter, number one song in Texas. Was that irresponsible? It was after that. Was, so all okay. that I kind of like that was kind of like all the the pre stuff. Everything we recorded in house or in Austin, and then from the our side of the fence album was with this the machine. If gotcha, you will. gotcha. And then uh, we'll catch up there in a minute. Man, that's, that's very cool. cool. One, one of the things I um, I thought about as you were telling your story um, when you were talking about San Marcos, I was watching a um, a deal one time with George Strait, uh, uh, kind of a behind, behind the music deal. And um, I think he was probably 20, 21 years old and, uh, you know, just trying to find somebody to play his music. <clears throat> he had begged this uh, radio DJ to play his tape. You know, he, he took it up there like 15 times. Finally, the guy plays it. And George said he took off um, running and, and hopped in his truck and started driving up and down the drive where the uh, the station was. And uh, there was a couple of people and they were like, what in the world is he doing? Well, he wanted to hear himself on the radio. So he hopped in his truck and was driving up and down. And anyway, they got all these calls, you know, in. And he had been playing, you know, all these um, honky-tonks and stuff. And uh, it was um, it was a big – I don't remember what song it was, but it was a number – it ended up being like a number one hit. And uh, so, um, yeah, he, he was a ranch hand working down there in the San Marcos area. And uh, anyway, and that was just something that just made me think about that. That's kind of cool. Where were you at first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Driving down Mopac in Austin. Okay. Wow. It was, was kind of like that DJ like, threw me a bone. He's like, you know, friends, friend with somebody that had that, was in that position. So funny George Strait story. A guy at our church right now in San Antonio, he's from that area. Mm-hmm. He said, man, I asked my wife for our wedding. We've, we used to follow 
follow uh, George around and kind of when he was a local act, we'd go to the shows. But and I asked my wife who she wanted. It was between George and another guy for our wedding, and she picked the other guy. <laughs> so at one point, <laughs> George Strait. Was the same price as another dude. <laughs> and he got second place. fiddle. <laughs> he got second place. George Strain ain't never so been second fiddle. Well, there's always, there's always hope. You never know. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Well, I thought that was hilarious, man. Pretty well, awesome. that's a that is an awesome story, man. Uh, just insane how how God laid that path out. I mean, it, it, you can only you can only attribute that to to divine work, you know. For I sure, mean, and that's when I was just totally missing it. I, up until that point was just when I started when I got into high school on the weekends. I my dad's pretty pretty straight lay, so no cussing, no drinking, no no nothing. Church twice on Sunday, Wednesday night. Right. That's how, that was the household I grew up in. And I'm thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. Yes. Um, but when I got into high school, I started hanging out with my baseball buddies on the weekends. So that's when I started drinking and going. And those baseball guys are just a bunch yeah, of hoodlums, aren't they? Like, they? Like, <laughs> that's hoodlums. You're exactly right. Uh, and so that's. That's kind of where it started. And then when I went to college, then I stopped going to church and just kind of started partying more. Stop, definitely stopped getting in the Word, stopped praying other than maybe blessing food or something. Um, and then that's where I was when I kind of got into the music thing. So, of course, when I got into that, all most of those Texas country songs are, you know, drinking, partying, cutting up. Exactly. And so that's kind of the lifestyle I dove into. Mm -hmm. Then when I started doing it, I was like, well, this is what you do if you're a Texas country singer. Exactly. And so that's kind of where I was through this whole process up until up until that point. And I didn't realize it until after the fact that, like, man, like, God blessed me so much and put all these pieces in play, even when I was like, totally turned my back to him and and that that's a pretty that's a pretty tough pill to swallow from a conviction standpoint um well it's like it's like you you know you went and 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 i only say this from personal experience but you went down a path uh you you were on the path of of self-glorification for sure for um for for years or how I don't know how long it was yeah the first half of my career yeah I've been on that path you know and and then and then uh we went Shane and I you know we we use the uh kind of the analogy of you know you're on this train track this this self-righteous kind of self-glorification train track and uh at some point you know God just sticks his fist up and he's like you know boom you're on the wrong track you gotta you gotta start over over here you know and and not, I mean, not that you just completely ever pulled away from God, you know, but it, it was just, for me, it was, it was, I was doing it for all the wrong reasons, you know, and, and, uh, and, and now it's like, I'm trying to make up for that time of, of knowing that even though I wasn't being obedient, I wasn't glorifying him with what I was doing. He still continued to bless me in such a huge way. Absolutely, um, and you know, and and now it's like I'm not gonna miss a chance. Isn't you know? that? It, doesn't that feel kind of contradictory to what we're told a lot of times about how blessings work? Yeah. And then you're just like, wow, he's that good. He's that good that when I was just living outside of, of how I should be living as a Christian, and not only that, just destroying my witness, just <laughs> destroying my like, just 
professing to be a Christian and you look at my life, that whole adage, you know, if you were put on a trial, being a Christian, is there enough evidence to prove that you are? Like at the time, absolutely not. Right. And he was still blessing me. And I, I like I always think of that. It's like he knew at this point, somewhere down the line, that I was gonna be using this platform to go out in bars and honky tonks and tell people about Jesus. And and it's just crazy that that from our perspective, like if I was in that position, like I wouldn't, I would have gave up on me a long time ago. Yeah, um, no doubt. It's pretty special to see the sovereignty of God, and the, and Absolutely. just to see how He sees around every corner and how He can take our mishaps. Um, you know, I always think about the everybody. You know, they always throw out hindsight. It's twenty twenty. You know, and you know, you just don't realize until you get to this. You arrive at this one spot, and then you look back on your life, and you're like, wow. And you can see God directing your path. And uh, it's just really special, and it's very humbling. Isn't it crazy just to think about, like, what God sees versus what we see? <laughs> and, like, you can't, we can't even really understand or describe it completely. Uh, but, but I think, you know, a thought that I have is that God sees our future like we see our past. Right. Times a million. Right, you know, right, right. But when you look back on your life and you're talking about playing these honky tonks and like and and living this Texas country life, and how it led you and how God used that to get you where you are today, and to honor and glorify Him now, well, you can see that now, right? For it's sure. a lot easier to see it. Yep. But in the moment, you're just rocking and rolling, doing what you <laughs> feel like you need to do, right? For sure. I got another question for you. Um, inside of uh, your country music career who has had the most profound influence on your life uh i would say aaron watson was a huge part of acidosis but guy right in the in, in abilene abilene, abilene. Yeah. okay okay abilene so when i i always say i had to come to jesus meet i don't know what else do you call it when i was on the way to the gym to be completely honest i was smoking a bowl on the way to the gym and i was this song through it all came on and I was like, wow, like that song just smacked me in the face. And I remember getting, I was in Gladewater over there, Anytime Fitness over there. And I remember getting there and like the first response was like, I don't need to be doing this. So I just threw it in the dumpster. And then I, I get there on the gym floor, I just lay there to stretch and just kind of laid out and just praying and just like started crying. It's like, wow, like you, growing up, I said, I want to pitch in the majors so I can tell people about Jesus. Cause I was always like fascinated with like the Reggie white stores. You're, I get sports illustrated for kids and always be a little interview thing and bio and like Reggie white was one. There's, there's many, it would be like just professing their faith. And I was like, man, that's awesome. That's cool. These professional athletes like talking about Jesus. When I grew up, that's what I want to do. And here I was, I wasn't a professional athlete, but I had this platform and this opportunity to influence and reach a lot of people. And not only was I not doing that, I was doing completely opposite. I was putting out songs like Irresponsible and just living a life that would give someone absolutely no reason to want to follow Christ. And so I just, man, like that, I had a lot of conviction for that. And you multiply that with the fact that he blessed me and just, provided for me to throughout this whole process um i just had had that moment where i said you know what like i'm not going to do this if if that's what it, if that's what happens like if it's going to affect my relationship with him like i don't need to be doing this 
And and so going forward, uh, if I'm going to do music, I'm going to do it to bring glory and honor to him. I'm going to do tr- positive, faith-based, traditional country music. If it works, I'll keep doing it. If it doesn't work, I was cool with getting another job and just doing music for fun or leading worship at a church. Right. And the more I chewed on that, he just put this on my heart is, I've put you here for a reason. Because I'm thinking, just remove myself from the environment, right? right, right. So I thought, like, oh, if I remove myself from the environment, then I'll just go over here and do music in, in a safe Christian environment, and then don't have to worry about it. But the conviction was, no, I put you here to bring to 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 bring your Christian influence into dark places. So that's really what kept me proceeding in the Texas country bar honky tonk scene. And I, I would imagine that's what continues to keep you. I mean, you've got to go back to that. Always. Like always. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you just got to keep rolling back to that because, I mean, the Lord revealed it to you. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. And our focus has to be on the one, right? Cause yeah, you Amen. can't be focused on selling out the venues. You'll get frustrated when you don't. You can't be focused about oh, trying to get whatever accolades because it, it, you're never going to get fulfillment through that, especially if you're saying that, oh, I want to do this to reach others. So if you're really doing it for that, then your focus needs to be on the one person that you're reaching. And if it's 100 people, not great, but the one is the focus and anything yeah. else is is icing on the cake. Um, but all that conviction really put me on that path. And what it did was it kept me from being a slave to anything in the industry. So picking back up where that story left off, when I said that, this was in September. I was when I went back to Nashville. The next trip to Nashville, September of what year was that? Oh man, I can't remember. Fifteen or sixteen? Okay, might have been fifteen because I think that Undeniably Country came out in sixteen. By December, management dropped me, booking agent dropped me, publishing company dropped me, and I was left holding the bag. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna give it one more go. I had these songs I'd I'd written, Born to Die. They didn't yep. want to release that. They didn't want to cut that one on the record. I was like, I'm going to record Born to Die, and I'm going to release it to radio as a single because I want people to hear this this message and this song. And once again, if it works, cool. If not, so that year I put out, I released that album by myself. So own all the masters, own all the rights, put it up on whatever CD Baby TuneCore, just did it all by myself, promoted it, and it wound up being my most successful record today. How cool! And so. From that point on, there were no change. I didn't. I wasn't indebted to anybody for paying for it. I didn't owe anybody anything. So I was in total control. When you're in total control, you can do what you want to do. That don't mean it's going to work, but that means nobody's telling you no. Right. And so through that whole process, I always look back and say, if I would have been successful in that realm, I would have kept going down that realm. But when when God took all of that bondage away, all where I was no longer slave to the industry. Now I'm doing it how just he is my source and my guide and my direction. And I'll do this until he says that I need to go do something else. Dude, that I'm, that's a cool story. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds it cool just, now. It wasn't fun at the time. Uh, I yeah. can imagine. It's not a fun process. You're like, oh, no, wow. it's not. No, yeah, it's so, not because you're, you know, all that sin all that sin surfaces, you know, and, and, uh, and then you have to figure out almost how to like restructure your whole life, you know, to, to not be a slave to that sin. I mean, you had to, you had to eliminate everything. Um, I mean, and, and you did it and then 
the Lord blessed you with the most successful album that you ever had, right. you know, after the fact. I mean, that's just, that yeah, just preaches. Uh, it, uh, it really does. Know. I mean, the, in, it's like the the salvation experience is, is what I think about when I hear that story. Is like God got a hold to you. You know, you already knew him. He's right. bringing you back to him. God got a hold to you and said, okay, you're on a path that I want you on. Let's transition from that to a path that follows follows me. And then everything else the from the inward becomes outward. And it and that's how our salvation experience should be. When we when we find Jesus, things should change on the outward as well. And like you said, it's not easy. It is really, really hard. And scary. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of unknowns. Um, you're giving up you said you gain, you know, you gain control of your music, but also you gave control to the Lord for at sure. that point. That's super cool, man. Yeah, for no, no question about it. Uh, you know, Sean and I last night when we were just kind of hitting on some talking points and stuff about what we thought we might want to talk to you about, we didn't know it was going to – this is exactly what we wanted to talk to you about, but we didn't know it was going to be so cool. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we, we, of course, you know, we didn't know your story. Um, and so, you know, generally when you got a guy like yourself, Curtis, that is – uh, in in an in an industry or in a situation where, um, I mean, let's face it, you stick out like a sore thumb from a standpoint of praising Jesus in sure. in that industry. Um, you know, so usually there's some kind of cool story behind that, uh, and we just couldn't wait to hear it. And so, man, thanks so much for sharing all that with us. That's so cool. I appreciate you guys having me on today, and this is this is awesome. And you, hitting on what you just said. So I was kind of scared of the backlash I would get from diving in. Because, like, I really wanted to make a statement put out Born to Die just because I wanted to say, this is what I'm doing. Hey, will you, uh, real quick, will you sing, like, a little excerpt of that song for our listeners? Oh, you <laughs> Can I put, yeah. You so mean? I'll run through the lyrics. Okay. okay. There you go. That's fine. Backstory on this. That trip to Nashville in September I was telling you about, um, I guess it was probably it was it was before that. That was when I had the meeting and said, "Hey guys, this is what I'm going to do." And they're like, uh, "Well, that doesn't fit uh, this marketing plan on this paper." <laughs> Somebody else but, gave me. <laughs> yeah, but it was the first time. It was it was after that moment. It was the first time I I'd prayed before co-write. I'm in there. I'm like, "Hey man, uh, is it cool if we pray before?" Now that's not what normal for an official Nashville appointment co-writing a big office cubicle thing. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and being here with us today. We want to thank Curtis Grimes for being here. Thank you so much, Curtis. And this is just part one of a two-part series, so tune back in on Thursday for part two. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That'll help us reach more people for Jesus. If you want to email us, if you have any questions, prayer requests, or potential topics, send us an email at realuncomfortabletruth.gmail.com. Go out and kick the day in the face, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.